the, the time in your life when you were saved and, and you weren't doing a lot of ministry. You, you weren't very active. You wanted to be, but you weren't. You wanted to do things for Jesus, but it didn't seem that there was anything available for you to do for Jesus. But you so loved him. You so longed for him. And it wasn't the fact that you wanted to do it because you wanted to do it and you wanted to be seen. It was just the fact, I want to serve God because I love him and I want to do something for him. In those days of our life, there was such an abiding in the Lord. I mean, there was such a hunger when we read his word. We read his word for him. We read his word to be with him. We read his word to walk with him and to fellowship with him. That's why we read it. And then something happens when you get into ministry, you know, slight changes begin to occur. And it's like, I'm not really reading the word of God to abide with the Lord. I'm reading the word for a message. I'm reading the word for a word. I'm reading the word for a teaching rather than just abiding in God. Now, every one of you that are ministers, you know what I'm saying. And every one of you that's a Christian should be a minister. All right. But some people are just still sitting there because they're waiting on God to do something when he's done something. And a lot of people, it's sad to say, are going to sit there till the rapture comes, never really doing anything that God wanted them to do because they're waiting on this this thing to happen when things have already happened. And that's what you're going to learn tonight. And so a lot of times in ministry, we can get distracted and we can become in this mindset that, you know what, the effectiveness of ministry is what I know. It's how much I know. And it's what I feel like I can do because I've learned these things and I've got experience under my belt. And a lot of times without us even knowing it, we begin to put our confidence in our experience. And we begin to put our confidence in how many decades we've been saved. Or how many decades we've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Or things we've seen in our past. The healings that God has done. The miracles that God has done. The things that God has taught me. And we put our confidence in those things. Rather than our confidence in God. It's amazing to me how many times as ministers... We become more occupied with the ministry than the, than the life that we were once living before God that he looked upon and said, you know what? I love the way you're living. I love the way you're seeking me. I love your hunger for me. I want you to minister for me. And God touched you. And when he touched you, everything changed. And it wasn't so much that people recognized you were a minister, but you knew. Something's different now. God has asked me to do something. God has called me to something. And it's an amazing thing that we quit living the life that we were living that God so delighted in. And we become occupied with duties. And we become occupied with ceremonies. And we become occupied with study. And we become occupied with performances. And we're not occupied with the Lord. And it's a, it's, listen guys, it's a, it's a tricky thing because we would always think that we're occupied with the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, we can be very occupied with other things but Jesus Christ. And maybe that's where some of you are. You could be occupied with your work. You could be occupied with your problems. You could be occupied with your infirmities. You can be occupied with your battles. You can be occupied with a number of things. Desperately calling out, Jesus help me, Jesus help me, Jesus help me. But you're not really occupied with him. You're not really thinking about him. And so I think it's important that we understand this. And in Matthew 11, where I'd like to read tonight, it's where I read a couple of weeks ago. Is this too loud? It's really loud up here. 
We can turn that down. In Matthew 11, it says here, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I believe this life with Jesus Christ is a very clear and simple life that's been set forth before us. But I believe that in the simplicity of things, Christians don't really go on in the life that God has given them. In this passage, you find a rest that's given and a rest that's found. And you just read it again quickly. You come to Jesus if you're weary and heavy laden. He gives you rest. It's a gift because you're disturbed. It's because you're distracted. It's because you're heavy laden. There's weights upon you. And you need God to do a miracle. And thank God, God does. And he gives you rest in your spirit. He gives you rest in your mind. He gives you peace. And in that peace, Jesus expects you now to take his yoke upon you. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He expects you to do that. But people don't do that. People don't do that. And so what happens is people come in and they experience this rest that God gives But two days later, in the midst of their week, in the midst of work, in the midst of ministry, in the midst of all of the duties, we've lost our rest. We've lost our peace. We're worried about life, worried about the ministry, worried about our families, worried about our we're worried about everything because we didn't do what Jesus said to take his yoke upon him. Learn of him and you will find rest for your soul. We're supposed to find this rest in the peace that God gives us. And I believe that's one of the greatest problems in most Christians' lives today is they've had a real experience with God where he did a great work for them, but they don't maintain that because they don't maintain it. They don't take his yoke upon them. They don't learn of Jesus Christ. They don't abide with him. When we understand the simplicity of this passage in Matthew 11, what Jesus is saying, then I must understand that everything in life, the calling of God, The ministry, the office, the duties, the responsibilities, everything must be an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. Everything must be. That must be the focus of my life. I must filter everything that happens to me through this filter in my life that I want to know Jesus Christ. I don't want to get occupied with ministry or problems or fights and battles and spiritual warfare That I lose sight of Jesus Christ doing all this in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to be able to take everything that's going on and take it as an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Apostle Paul said, I glory in my weakness because he is strongest in me. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know him. And so Paul desired to fellowship with Jesus in his sufferings. Paul didn't want to just suffer for the cause of Christ. He wanted to fellowship with Jesus in his sufferings. Paul took suffering as an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. For most part, most Christians do not do that today. Most Christians take suffering as just something that happens. We gripe, we murmur, we complain about it because nobody likes to suffer. And we oftentimes go through that without gaining what Jesus Christ wanted us to gain through that suffering. And so we come forth with it with nothing to show for it. And you're going to find in a moment that that's a bankrupt state that none of us should ever be in. Paul wanted to be conformed to his death. That's what he desired. Paul said he fought the beast of Ephesus every day. He said, I die daily. 
Paul took the opportunities in his life of facing death as an opportunity to be conformed to the death of Jesus Christ. And then in every one of those situations, whether it was suffering or death, he learned that these were expressions of Paul being able to realize the power of Jesus' resurrection. When Paul should be dead, he wasn't. When he should be destroyed, he wasn't. When he should have fainted for some reason, he hadn't fainted. When he should have given up for some reason, he didn't give up. Something inside Paul made him stronger than the circumstance, stronger than the enemy, stronger than the problem. And it wasn't Paul. He was the one that was able to write that we read and quote and hope it would be true in our life. It was true in Paul's life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That life was a reality with Paul. And so the Apostle Paul, because he desired to know Jesus Christ, that was his one consuming passion. Everything was filtered through that. He became more and more acquainted with Jesus Christ. He learned him in everything. He learned him in peril. He learned him in suffering. He learned him in pain. He learned him in agony. He learned him in sickness. He learned him in joy. He learned him while he was preaching. He went to the law of God and read it that he might see Jesus in it. And therefore he was able to go to the synagogues and open up the law of Moses and preach from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Messiah. He was able to show him through the scriptures because everything in Paul wanted to know Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, that has to be our life. That's what ministry is. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you claim. I don't care how involved it may be. I don't care how important everybody around you may say that it is. If it is not ministering with Christ and to Christ, it is not a true ministry of God. It has to be unto God. It has to be with God. Or it's the ministry of man. It is the ingenuity of man, the power of man. And it will absolutely fail. It is an amazing thing. I mean, you just examine your own life. How confident we become in what we know. I mean, you think about that. It's a battle we all face. It's a battle we all fight. It's hard for some of us to look back and remember. But do the best that you can. Ask the Lord to help you. When you didn't know a lot about Jesus Christ. You were just saved. You were just, This was all brand new to you. You wanted to learn as much as you could about Jesus. You wanted to be as close as you could about Jesus. You weren't confident to go handle situations. You were scared to witness because you might say something wrong or because somebody might ask you a question that you couldn't answer. But you learned in those moments of your life that God was faithful. You started witnessing and all of a sudden God gave you words to say. You were ministering to people and they asked questions and it even blew your mind that God was giving you the ability to recall scriptures and to quote those scriptures to people. And you saw God minister into their lives. You know what I'm talking about. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves with these years under our belts of walking with Jesus and we know scripture now. We know doctrine. We know truth. We know all of these things. We're not as desperate for God. We're not as desperate for him to help us. Oh, we can witness to the lost. We can counsel somebody that's disturbed. If somebody's got a problem, bring, in, bring, us, bring them to us. Because we know the scriptures. We'll find a word for them. We'll do all of these things. And they're not that desperation for God. It's the ministry of man. It's the ministry of man. It's what we've become and it's what we've been able to do. 
And it becomes categorized or it becomes defined in what we know rather than who we know. And what we can do rather than what we have become. And that's a sad state. And a lot of times it happens without us even knowing it. And thank God for his wonderful mercy to show us when it does. Now, the thing that we must have is the touch of God upon our life. The anointing of God upon our life. That's what we must have. What is the answer to our society? What is the answer to our country? What's the answer to a crack addict? What's the answer to somebody addicted to pornography? What's the answer to somebody that's demon possessed and suffering great torment? What's the answer to that? Just finding a word that we can speak to them? Pointing out a truth in the Bible? Or is there something else? Is there truth and the spirit of God in us that brings truth? Because we're touched of God. And because we're touched of God, there's an answer that comes through us that brings deliverance to the tormented and sets free those that are addicted to drugs or crack or or pornography or whatever it may be. The power of Christ coming through us demonstrates that. This is what we have to have. The ability to hear God, the ability to be touched by God and know that you're touched by God. But the sad thing is, is so many people don't. So So many people don't. They don't hear the call of God. Many people fill our churches. They don't hear the call of God. They don't hear it at all. It's sad that to think that many people may live and die in their Christian life without ever truly hearing why God saved you and why God called you and what he wanted you to do in the earth. And I couldn't imagine anything more sad than that. How could we ever be prepared to meet Jesus Christ? How could we have any confidence before his judgment seat if we had not the ability to hear God? And know the things that he wanted us to do. Just to share a few things with you. Jesus said that he only said what his father said. And he only did what his father was doing. Jesus had the ability to see and hear his father. We must have that ability. And we do have that ability. Through his spirit. It demands a new constitution. It demands that we are made anew. And a new creation. With the capacity to hear what before we could not hear. That capacity is to be spiritual. So God saves us and he gives us the Holy Ghost so that we are spiritual people. And now we can hear a spiritual voice and we can see an invisible God. Because we have a new organ to hear with and a new organ to see with and new organs to touch with. The spiritual man that is alive in us that we can do this. Whether or not I hear God's voice depends on the state of my ears. And what I hear depends on my constitution. Ministers are those who have come into a relationship with God and their constitution has been altered. It has been changed fundamentally. Oswald Chambers said, when the Lord called the disciples, he was speaking to men with every power wide awake. They were wide awake to what Jesus was saying. The majority of people, however, have no ear for anything but themselves. They cannot hear a thing that God is saying. There is a call of the sea, the call of the mountains, the call of the great ice barriers. But these calls are only heard by the few. The call is the expression of the nature from which it comes. And we can only record the call if the same nature is in us. The call of God is the expression of God's nature. And if I am to hear him, I must have that nature in me. God lives in us by His Spirit. His Son is in us. We have the ability to hear God. Therefore, we must listen for God. 
We must be desperate for the touch of God. But a man must know that God has touched him. I've been thinking awfully hard over these last few weeks. And I don't know if it's just something that God's speaking to me about this year. Or if it's just something that, 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 that I'm just thinking about. But I have, this, I have this care inside of me that I think it's God dealing with me about something. And it's just been the word authority. I've just been hearing that for weeks now. Authority. I've been thinking about authority. Spiritual authority. Spiritual power. I've just been thinking about that. And one of the things that I keep thinking, I've been asking God over and over again, God, what is authority? How does authority come? How do you minister in authority? Who do you give authority to, God? And just some of the things that have come to me, the simplistic stuff of this is, authority is to those who see and to those who hear. If you hear me, you have the authority to speak what I've said. If you see me, you have the authority to do what I've done. If I'm in you and you're awakened to the fact that I'm in you, if I've touched you, you have the authority to go. Well, God's touched all of his children, but a lot of his children are asleep. And they don't know that God has spoken. They don't know that God has called. They don't know that God has touched because they're sleeping. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Arise from it and you'll see again and you'll hear again and you'll be touched again. I'm talking about the passions that you had before you were so involved in your Christianity. That day long ago when you were just involved with Jesus Christ and he was just the absolutely most wonderful thing you had ever known in your life. You were so excited about Jesus. And it's sad sometimes How even in ministry we can get pulled away from this. The Apostle Paul wanted to reveal Jesus Christ. He wanted to show him to the the Gentiles. And he knew that the only possible way that this would ever happen. Would be under the power of the Holy Spirit. Ministering through his life to be a demonstration of Christ crucified. And I'm going to tell you it has not changed today. It must be the power of the Holy Ghost. Ministering through us to make Jesus Christ known. So what is the sign that God has touched you? What is the sign that your eyes are open, your ears are open, your life has been touched by God? What is the sign? What is the sign that you're still walking with him and you're not, you haven't been distracted over into things? What is the sign? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we find a beautiful passage of scripture here that Paul writes to a spirit-filled people. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. He says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is opened unto you. Our heart is enlarged. You are not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. You're straightened in yourself. That word straightened means limited or you're cramped. All right. You're limited or you're cramped. The picture that God has always drawn from us all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis, especially in the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel saw the river of God coming forth from the temple of God. And wherever that river flowed, wherever the waters went, it healed and it brought life. It was a mighty river that was flowing. I believe that's the river Jesus spoke of that should flow out of every believer. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Those rivers of living water should flow out of every Christian. And everywhere it goes, it should bring healing. It should bring life. It should bring hope. It should bring Christ everywhere. 
But here's a spirit-filled group of people in the Corinthian church who are filled with the Holy Ghost, speak with tongues, have words of wisdom and knowledge. They have everything that so many churches wish they had today. But they were cramped and they were squeezed. They were straightened. They were limited. They were limiting God through their life. They were limiting Him. Instead of this mighty river flowing through their life, there was a little trickle, as as it were, that was just kind of getting through. There was life, but it wasn't a mighty flow of life. They had the capacity for great things, but instead of living in the great things, there was something very small that was being done. They could have done something great, but instead they were doing something little. And oh, what a tragedy. What a travesty it is when there's smallness in the body of Christ. What a travesty it is when there can be a mighty river that flows and instead there's just a little dribbling stream that goes by. What a tragedy that is indeed, especially among a spirit-filled people. And the Apostle Paul said, listen, you have no one to blame but yourselves. Don't blame it on circumstance. Don't blame it on situations. Don't blame it on other people. Now, when you read this in, in its context and you see everything that's been happening, they had become cramped. Because they were upset with the way people were. They were upset with Paul. They didn't trust him. They felt let down or they felt betrayed or they felt like somebody wasn't there when they should have been there. And instead of this mighty flowing river, it became small and straightened and limited in their life. How many times do people have this in their own life? Christians, spirit-filled Christians, even those of you sitting here tonight, they have that limit And that crampness and that straightness with the life of God that wants to move out of you. We have this straightness because of sin. We're afraid with sin. We've sinned. And so because of that, we feel, I can't do anything great for God. I can't do anything mighty for God. When it's the life of God, the blood of Jesus Christ that restores us and keeps our standing before God. God's not afraid of sin. He's just afraid. He just He just despairs over the the rebellious heart. God is an answer for sin. It's not sin that can keep us straightened for the rest of our life. It's unbelief in the redemption and the fullness and the forgiveness of of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So many people say, well, it's just the way I am. I could never be like that. I could never do those kinds of things. God wants to speak a word through your life. He wants to give a tongue through your life. He wants to give an interpretation through your life. He wants to give a prophecy through your life. But we allow our life ourself to stop that and to hinder that and to straighten that because we're scared, we're embarrassed, or I don't think I could ever do that. I don't think I could ever be that. This is just the way that I am. It's the way I'll always be. What limit that is, what crampness, what straightness that is when there can be such an awesome display of God moving through our lives, such an awesome display. We've yet to see what a person can truly be in Jesus Christ who believes him and allows this life, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. But I'm talking about people. I'm talking about in our day and among this world, this society and this generation of what God can truly do. The cause of limitation. Paul just simply said, you are to blame. You are to blame. You are the reason. It is all you don't look anywhere else. If there's something going on, it's It's right here. If there's bitterness, it's right here. Unforgiveness, it's right here. Anger, it's right here. I have nowhere else, no one else to blame. Nowhere else to point the finger. It's right here. If something is limiting God, it's Lee Ship. It's nobody else. It's Lee. And the answer's right here between me and God. 
And that river can flow. Boy, once we get a revelation of this and understand it, that it's not sin and it's not Satan and it's not people. And the only reason I'm harboring these little hurt, petty feelings is because of me. God sets before us life and death. And he said, choose life. You have that power. Choose life. But oftentimes people choose death. They choose to continue in that way. Well, there's three things or four things I'm just going to say in this and bring this to a close. I can't see the clock up there. My watch doesn't work, so I think we've got a lot of time left. Now, listen to this. There are several things that I see in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And the first thing I want to say, what is the sign that God has touched you? I'd say the first one is this, separation. Separation is a sign that God has touched me. It's a sign that God has touched you. Not just any separation. I don't want you to just think, you know, because you can be a Pharisee and separate yourself, right? So I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about a separation that has occurred because of a work of God in your life. Because of an encounter and a relationship with God. All species communicate among their species. Now, I just want you to understand this. I just want you to see it because I believe spiritual truth is related to us through physical things. In all species, there is a communication between them. And we can't make that communication with all species because we don't have the nature of those species to communicate with them. There are species that communicate, animals that live in the wild, animals that live among us. And they have a communication among themselves. There's mating calls that these animals put out. But we don't hear that mating call. We don't understand it because we're not of that species. But whenever that species, that female begins to put out the mating call or or the male puts out the mating call, whatever it may be, those species that are in that area, they hear it, they sense it, they know it because they're of that species. I was watching on the National Geographic thing on TV. I was watching these men climb Mount Everest. And I'd seen this man and he had tried to climb it several times. And he had lost many of his fingers. He had lost portions of his face from false frostbite. Never made it to the top of Mount Everest. And so the interviewer was asking him, what is driving you to try to climb to the top of this mountain? Numbers of times it has almost taken your life. And yet you are willing to continue risking your life to get to the top of this mountain. I see no point in it. But what is driving you to do it? And his answer was this. That mountain is calling me. It's calling me. And I have to do it. There was something in his nature that was drawn to that. God is calling people. God is speaking. But we must be able to hear him. Now, I don't have the nature of that man that wants to climb Mount Everest. I don't hear that call. But I want to have the presence of God in my life so that when God speaks, I can hear him. As Isaiah, when God is saying, who will go for me? I want to be able to say, God, here am I. I will go for you. Now, I want you to listen to this. I want it to be very clear in all of your lives. Separation is not a religious action. It can be a religious action. But the separation of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is not a religious action. It is not the feet of man. It is not the decision of the flesh. To try to appear to be holy or to try to appear to be religious. The separation of Ephesians or 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is a supernatural occurrence. As supernatural as the separation that parts darkness from light. 
It is something that occurs as a work of God, forever setting these two things apart and never allowing them to have fellowship again. It is that supernatural working of God. And so as I said, that's how you know the hand of God has touched you. Because there's a separation going on in your life. Now you might neglect that touch. You might have been touched, lived with the Lord for many years, doing many wonderful things. And then you move away from that touch, find yourself, as people call it, in a backslidden state. You just know you're not where you need to be with God. But this separation is a work of God where God touches the life and God separates the life. Simply by this, I hear a call, I feel a touch. I hear a call, I feel a touch. I cannot sit in a movie that curses my God because I hear his groan. I hear it. It's just as simple as that. Now, we could put standards, we could put rules, we can put all types of things that we want to put. You can say, you can't go to the movie house. You can't go do that. You can't go watch that show. It's got the F word in it four or five times. It says GD one time, or it says this, or it says that. And you can lay the law down, say, you cannot go to that movie. But there's just as sure if the nature of God is not alive in that person, every desire in them wants to say, I want to see it, I don't care. But when that nature is awakened to God, they cannot bear to hear what God does not want to hear, see what God doesn't want to see, or touch what God does not want to touch. They are too aware that I'm bringing Jesus with me everywhere I go, and the one who died for me on that cross to save me from an eternal hell, dare I listen to somebody take his name in vain as a form of my entertainment. I cannot do it. Then I'm talking about when you're walking in the presence of God. Now, people might try to do it religiously. Parents have an obligation to do it to their kids, either out of the fear of you or the fear of God. If they're not fearing God, make them fear you. You don't have to let that stuff get in them. I feared my parents enough. I mean, you know, when they walk with God and they pray, you can come home and lie all you want. And they know you're lying. They're going to beat it out of you. I I know that. They're going to beat the truth out. You know, if you're not going to fear God, fear the parents. Parents make them fear you. But you want it to come to a place in their life where God has made a separation. I can no more participate with the darkness of this world than Satan can participate with Christ or darkness can fellowship with light. God has made a separation. That's how I know he touched me. That's how I know he touched me. It is a very real thing and a very true separation. The next thing that I find here in 2 Corinthians 6 is a holy passion. A holy passion of God. Now listen to me. Separation is holiness. But separation may not always be passion. Separation is holiness. To be set apart. But that doesn't always mean it's passionate. We must be passionate. We're talking about a fire that burns. Jeremiah was separated, right? Jeremiah was separated from the womb. He was separated for a call of God upon his life. He was separated. God touched that baby in his mother's womb. Jeremiah tried to argue with God, say, I'm too young. I can't do this. God said to him, don't you tell me what you're going to do. I created you. I'm talking about a touch of God. All right. God touched that boy. Now, he's in there. He's separated. He's holy. He's a prophet. And in the most difficult situations of his life, 
waist deep in the dung of the city, chained to the dungeon of the wall, wall of the dungeon, with all of the refuse, all of the rejection, all of the mockery and blasphemy that a prophet of God can receive. Jeremiah's hanging there saying, I will not speak in his name anymore. I'm through with this. And then all of a sudden, Jeremiah said, but I cannot stop. I can't withhold it. His word burns in me like a fire shut up in my bones. That's the passion I'm talking about. That's what it is. It's not just being separated. Now we're separated to God. I'm talking about a separation that is burning inside of you. A holiness that's passionate inside of you. I think Jim Elliott put it best. He said, am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be aflame. But flame is transient, often short-lived. Canst thou bear this, my soul, short life? In me there dwells the Spirit of the great short-lived, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Father, take my life, yea, my blood, if thou wilt. And consume it with thine enveloping fire. I would not save it for it is not mine to save. Have it Lord. Have it all. Pour out my life as an oblation for the world. Blood is only of value as it flows before thine altar. What gets a hold of a person like that? How does a man like that become what he is? When it seems the majority of the Christians are just passerbyers and pacifists. And they sit and they let other people do it. What ignited Jim Elliot? To this type of a life. What did that? I'm going to tell you what did it. He saw what most Christians never saw. And he heard what most Christians never hear. And he was touched with a touch that he felt. That most Christians never feel. He had a new life. A new organ. A new man. By which to look with. See with. Hear with. Touch will. Feel with. Walk with. And that man was wide awake. And he walked with Jesus. And even in the church world, people couldn't understand it. But Jim Elliott had that fire inside of him. And he laid his life down for the cause of Jesus Christ as a martyr of the Lord. I would say that there's another thing here, and that's bursting love, unexplainable love. Somebody fix the clock. Guess they want me to finish soon. I didn't see who it was either. I see Richard sitting there. I'll just say this. I'm not going to take a long time on this part, but the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians about the judgment seat of Christ. He said he feared God. He said he feared the Lord. He, he was afraid to appear before God in a state where he was not ready. He was afraid of God. But he said it was the love of Christ that constrained him. It was the love of Christ that did this. That's what it was. I take this holy passion and I take this love and you kind of put them together because I think that's the fire that burns within us is that love. It's that love. I preach because I hear a word. I sing because I'm happy. I pray because I believe. Oh, I feel so sorry for the numbers of Christians who just teach something because they have to and they pray because they're supposed to and they sing because everybody else is. Oh, God, save you. From that depression. Save you from it. And see and hear and touch and feel the reality of it. The last thing is this. You know you've been touched by God when you have something to give. When you have something to give. This is the last thing. And I want you to read this with me in Psalm 78. Psalm 78. It says this. 
Very important. In Psalm 78, verse 9, it says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Notice verse 9. They were armed and they carried bows, but in the day of battle they turned back. I want you to just, I want you to hear this and I want you to try to grasp this. As I pray the Lord will help me to bring this to a close. But I'm trying to tell you something tonight that God has taught me. And it's something that has caused my spirit to rejoice. And that is that I want a touch from God on my life. I want God the Holy Ghost to touch me, to minister through me. To be able to move through our life with something to give and not just something to say. You know, I was praying about this message. I was praying about this part right here because this was one thing that was really sticking out to me. And I was just praying about this and it felt like I just felt the Holy Spirit say, Why do you think I'm asking you to go into the world? Why do you think I'm sending people from this church into other countries and in other streets and neighborhoods? Why do you think the churches around the world are asking for you to come? Because you have something to give. Something is coming out of you. Now, Jeff and I and others that have traveled with us have seen this very real thing. We've seen demons cast out of churches. We've seen sick bodies healed. We've seen dead churches raised up to life. We've seen it all over. And all we can say is it is the testimony of Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you this, we'd have never had one of those testimonies, Jeff, if we always sat here in this church for the rest of our life and said, somebody else will go. God, you hear a voice and you have to go where it says. You see what the Father's doing and you got to follow him. You have to do that. I prayed a long time ago, 20-something years ago, I prayed and I said, God, I don't ever want to get on a plane if I can't see you getting on that plane. I don't ever want to go anywhere, God, if I haven't had you tell me to go. I don't want to do it, God. I don't want to get in this pulpit if you didn't touch me with something to say. God, please do this stuff. Lord, let there be this life, this real life that can come forth from us, God. It has to be. It just has to be the reality of it. These people armed, carrying bows. In the day of battle, they turn back. What a revelation that is. What a truth that God is trying to show us. There is something that is very real of God that is to come forth from our life. How do you know that you're armed? How do you know that you're equipped? For us as Christian spiritual people, we can only try to take God at his word. The promises of God are there. But you'll never know how armed you are until you arrive at your battle. You'll never know. Now, I'm not talking about any battle. I'm talking about the fight God has called you to. If God's called you somewhere, that's where you've got to be. If God's told you to do something, that's what you've got to do. But you'll never know what God is able to do through your life till you get there. We want so many proofs of what God can do before we ever get there. But it's in that fight that everything he's put in you is going to come out of you. I think it breaks my heart when I consider the numbers of Christians, the numbers of times that so many of us have gone through so many trials and so many perils. And you know what? Instead of robbing Satan and destroying Satan and overcoming him and taking something from the war you had to fight with him, you've become less as a result of that. You've become cramped. You've become bitter. You've become offended. Your feelings have gotten hurt. Rather than being able to come through it, Satan took nothing from me, but I took something from him. I'll tell you, I've become more like Christ as a result of this. 
I read in Ephesians chapter 1 that there is an inheritance that God wants from my life. That means that God's putting something in it. And there comes a time in this life when God wants that something for himself. He puts it in there so that he can get it out. How does God put it in there? By the trials that I've had to walk through. By the battles that I've had to fight. By the contest that we've had to undergo. It, it's what we must realize, church. My God, why do you think you went through the fire? Why do you think you passed through the flood? Why do you think you spent those nights awake and you couldn't sleep? And you wondered where God was. He was putting something in you that he might get it out of you on the day of battle. And the problem is so many Christians never go to the fight and they live their miserable lives in some type of state of agony, blame, and self-pity rather than praising God waist deep in the billows in the might and the power of God to save. And coming forth from those battles saying, my God, what you did through me was absolutely awesome. And then you begin to be able to sing like the Apostle Paul. I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. It's in the night that he invested something into me. It's in the battle that he put something into me. It was in the fire that he put something in me. That's when he did it. It's not just sitting in here. Sitting in here, he equips us, he teaches us, he speaks something through us. But you'll never know what that is until you go to the battle. You'll never know what it is till you go to the battle. Don't be afraid of the battle. Don't be afraid of Satan. Who is your enemy? Face him in Jesus' name. Who's telling you you can't? Face it in Jesus' name. What sin dare stand in your way? Face it in the name of Jesus by his blood. And see what your God can do. You are equipped or you're not his. And you'll never know how equipped you are. Till you just finally stand up to it and say, enough, Satan, enough. I'm tired of this and I will not take it anymore. Somebody's got to do it. It's your battle. And I don't think many people are going to run into your battle. If you don't go, you've got to run up to it and you've got to believe God. Until you come to the battle, you'll never know how mighty Jesus is in you. But in your battle, you will know how mighty he is. I think about Daniel And I think about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I was talking about this in Sunday school, Sunday. But it just stays with me on this coming to the battle. And I think about here are these boys, these these men, men of God. All four of them were. And there's probably nothing they wanted more than for Babylon to know who God was. They certainly wanted them to know the greatness of their God. But you know what? Babylon wasn't coming to their Bible studies. And Babylon didn't go to their church. And Babylon didn't listen to their music. And Babylon didn't turn on their radio stations. And Babylon didn't turn on their TV stations. And Babylon, corrupt and pagan and miserable as it was, continued to believe in their gods. And you've got an Oprah Winfrey who's trying to teach people at night on her course in miracles that the cross is irrelevant. And Jesus is nothing. But that's all they can do. I'm not shocked by that. These are lost pagans. That are searching desperately for truth. But why do they come to these conclusions? Because where's the testimony of the church? Where is it? They're not coming in here. They're not watching our our preaching ministries. And listening to them on the radio. They're not doing all of that. They're not coming into your Bible study at your home. They're not doing this. So how are they going to know? When you go to the battle. When you go out there to the battle. Where it's really being fought. And in Jesus name. Let God be mighty in you. 
and you find out how well equipped you are. And I think about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Their greatest preaching of God was when they walked into that fiery furnace. They didn't come to our Bible studies. But it was in that fire that they learned that our God was the Lord. And it was in that lion's den that Babylon learned that Daniel's God was the Lord. And the God of all gods. And that's where they learn it. And that's where they're equipped. Don't run. Don't you run. Don't you dare run, minister of God. God has made an investment in your life. And don't you waste your trials thinking that's all they were was trials. Oh, no. It was an investment of God into my life. And it's going to come forth. Maybe some of you are there right now. You're facing this battle. Stand up to it in Jesus' name. Stand up to it. If there's sin in your life, repent. God will forgive you, wash you in his blood, restore you in a second. Isn't he wonderful? And then stand up to that battle. Let him fill you with his spirit. Let God touch you. Many of you, you're going to church because you have to. Many of you, you go because of guilt. You sing because other people are singing. You do things because you think it's the thing that you're supposed to do. You watch things that God could never watch. You listen to things that God could never listen to. I'm talking to you, youth, as well. I'm not asking you to, to separate yourself because it's the Christian thing to do. I'm asking you, let the Almighty God touch you. And just as sure as He separated light from darkness, He'll separate you. And you'll sit there. And when they curse God, you'll hear the groan of the Holy Ghost in your spirit and you'll get up and leave. And because that light's in you, you'll be able to say no. Because there's a holy passion of love for God in my life. And I don't want to take him anywhere. He doesn't want to go. Let him touch you. Let him separate you. Let him set you on fire. I'm talking about hearing something. That most people don't hear. I'm talking about seeing something. That most Christians don't see. And feeling a touch. That most Christians will die. Never feeling. And I don't want to live that way. Stand with me. My God. If this time is as short as it is. If your coming. Is as close as we think it is. And if we are to truly stand before you very soon, Jesus, then I simply say, dear God, I need a touch from heaven upon my life. I need you to touch me, God. Oh, God, I need to have ears that hear what you say and eyes that see what you do. And I need to have a life that can feel the touch of your spirit upon it. Oh, God, I am weak in myself. I'm unable in myself. I am a failure in myself. But my God, get my eyes off of me. And Lord, put them on Jesus. Put them on Jesus. Let me be occupied with you. God is ministers. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Because even without knowing God, we, we become distracted with trying to find a word, trying to find a message, trying to find a truth, trying to find something God and, and we become distracted in that, Father. And, Lord, we love you, Jesus. And we just want to be faithful in that love that we had before we were ever ministers. 
Before we ever had any real responsibility other than the responsibility of just loving you and rejoicing in you. And oh God, how wonderful you are. Father, touch our homes and separate our homes, God. God, it's not holiness that we can produce because of the way we dress or because of the places we go or don't go. Oh God, save us from that. Father, I just believe that you who spoke light and you separated the day and the night. I believe you can touch me, God, and you can separate me from this world. I believe, God, you who open the ears, you can open mine. You who give new life, give me your life. And God, don't let there be a trickle that runs out of me. Lord, let it be a river. Oh, God, let it be a river. Lord, let us be touched by you, God. There is no hope, Father, for our country. There is no hope, God, for the crack addict. There's no hope, God, for the one that is addicted to pornography. If you don't touch them, God, oh, my God, you must touch this world. You must touch this society, God. And oh, God, how will you touch them if you can't touch us? Lord, touch us in Jesus' name. Anoint us, God, in Jesus' name. And make us yours, God. Oh, let it burn with fire, God. Let the love constrain us, God. To live for you, Jesus. And to walk with you, Jesus. I'm asking you tonight, just out of your love for Jesus, would you give yourself to him? Because you love him. No other reason. I love you, Lord. I don't understand Jim Elliot. I don't understand those kinds of things, God. Or maybe you do. Oh, but God, touch me. I give to you. I surrender to you. I yield to you, God. Forgive me, God. How many of you would say tonight, God, I don't want this to just be a, a rest that you give. Let me put my head in your yoke. Let me learn of you, Jesus. And find rest for my soul. Rest that no demon can disturb. Rest that no depression can rob. Rest that no defeat can despair. Oh God, give me this rest. Let me find it in you, Lord. Let me find it in Jesus. Looking steadfastly upon him. Thank you, Lord. Let's just get around him tonight, church. Let's just get around Jesus tonight and love him. Just in the next few minutes that you have. In the altars at your seat. Just get around him and love him. Lift your hands to Him. Lift your heart to Him. Lift your life to Him. And love Him. Live a life that shows the world that God is great. Not what you can and cannot do, but what God can do through you. Show Him that your God is great. Oh, my God. My precious Lord. Very soon, we're going to see Jesus. Very soon. Oh, God, I want to be ready. Oh, God, I want to be faithful. 